for the most part, I feel like my walls are an impenetrable steel that I barely have any access to what's actually going on underneath. I try to just kind of be mostly neutral in my mood and feelings so that I just can't really even get to it myself. When you are generally under fire from the people around you, you do have to have a way of protecting yourself. And so I'm grateful that there is that armor, that place that I can go to. I can vividly remember being a little girl and hearing, you know, my mother tell me that I was too much, that I was overdramatic, that I was too sensitive, that I was taking things too personally, that I needed to have a thicker skin. And that basically anytime my feelings were hurt, it was because I shouldn't have the feelings in the first place. And it was my fault for letting those feelings be affected. I'm realizing that the thing I actually fear the most is losing my eightness, losing that part of me that was just eight from the get-go. And so I find myself protecting that part of myself and almost consciously shifting to a quieter, more withdrawn part of myself. I'm very hard on myself and hard on others. It's all to conceal, you know, the soft parts of me that I hardly show to anybody else. The, you know, soft, intuitive, innocence, that vulnerability, the part of me that's very spiritual and doesn't want to share that with anybody or has time to share that with anybody. I think that it's a lot of that innocence, that wanting to believe that the world is good, that people are good, that I'm not going to be betrayed, but creating these layers of armor to ensure that if somebody tries something, that I'm not hurt by it, that I am not going to be the one affected by it, having my gooey lava cake insides all over the table and not being able to clean it back up or having it be my responsibility to clean it back up. I'm still learning to be safe being an eight just in the world in general. What it is that I hide, I think, is that grief that's associated with my eightness being used as a weapon against me. If we keep slapping white paint layer by layer over our mold problem, and if you didn't understand that reference, go back to episode 19, we need to spend some time looking at that white paint. What are we using to cover up the things we don't really want to look at? Don Rizzo, in his book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, he talks about the eight's challenges to growth, and he lists a bunch of things that we fall into habitually as a way of defending. And they serve us well for a time, but then they stop serving us, and they actually cause us harm, and they stunt our relationships and our growth. These are the things that we don't even have to think about, we just fall into them naturally. I've spoken before about cross-country skiing and how they groom the trails and you're supposed to fit your skis into the grooves. I often feel super inhibited by those grooves. I often step out of them and I ski up where I'm free to move my feet the way I want to. So I think the first step is identifying those grooves, being able to actually see that they're there. A lot of them are subconscious. Erin and I have started to refer to these these habitual patterns and ways of being as shadow layers, we sort of fell into calling it that. Technically, these things are habits of our personality. And the goal is to be able to see them, identify them, and be free to leave them behind if we want. To be able to access them when it's helpful and leave them behind when it's not, but not to be stuck deep in the grooves of them. We'll be going through about one or two of these per episode. 
and we're not going to hit on all of them. We'll miss some. And as you'll hear, there's some of them that we identify with so, so strongly that we can't imagine leaving them behind, and others don't resonate quite so strongly. It'll be the same for you. Talk to us. Let us know if there are some that we've missed that you want to talk about. We're all more or less using the same white paint, so we want to hear from you. Now we're getting deep down into it. We've, we've had a little bit of time to ponder this over the last year, probably, but now we're just putting it out there for all of you, so it's a little vulnerable. Yeah, I was just asking some of you all this morning, how do you feel about this latest attempt to deep dive into some of the darker stuff? And the verdict is that <laughs> you're not excited about it, but you recognize that it's needed. Yeah, I love eights for that. Yeah, right? and you're willing. We, we are willing to go deeper even when it's awful. And mm-hmm. sometimes we block ourselves, but I think we're pretty interested in growing and moving forward. Well, it's the forward thing. I really do think so. And disruptors, right? Yeah. We don't like being stuck. Yeah. It's important to recognize that we're going through shadow layers that we've managed to discern and put into words, but there are many more that we aren't going to name. And also, not all of them are going to really be issues for you. Each of us is going to get to a point where we're very bored and very done with some of our own bullshit. And those layers, we're going to be ready to strip away. We're going to be ready to just kind of throw them over our shoulder and stomp on them and be done with it. Others, we we still want to coddle. Well, others were some sometimes we need them too. I really do believe that. It's a protective layer, right? And sometimes we're not ready to pull that layer off. Life life and where we're at in life is requiring them for us to stay with our head above the water. And I think that's okay sometimes too. I think being aware of what we're doing is necessary so that when you see the time is right, you can wade out of that, but and test it out. Like kind of remove maybe one finger from the life raft or whatever um and test it out and sit in the discomfort and then take off another finger and, and just, grab back on yeah and try again. exactly <laughs> so um as we go through these it'll be really really interesting to see which of you relate to which layers and which of them are not a problem for you all right let's dive in So the first layer that we have named is self-sufficiency. And another way of putting that would be, I don't don't need need you. you. (laughs) Yeah. Is there another way you'd put it? Mm -hmm. I got this by myself. (laughs) That lone wolf tendency that they ascribe to eights, which I very much relate to. So as we've already said, Don Rizzo is the one who kind of established these nine health levels. And so we're going to be taking quotes from his book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, and uh, do what we always do, which is kind of break it down and talk about what resonates and what doesn't. So why don't you read what Rizzo says about this self-sufficiency? So eights feel they need to protect themselves, which can become a fear of dependency of any kind, because eights do not feel that they can look to others for support or help without losing their autonomy. They try to handle all of their problems without telling anyone about them, or at least not the extent of them. Do you do that? (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually pretty shameless about asking for practical help. And it's a source of great discomfort to my daughter. Like I am very quick to actually skip looking at a map and just asking for directions. I am really quick to call someone up and organize babysitting, even if I've already asked them last week. I, I never feel like it will be an imposition. They always have the option of saying no to me. And oh, well, So I always tell the kids, just ask. The worst thing that can happen is people say no. That doesn't feel vulnerable at all to me. And yet, when it comes to 
requiring emotional help to tease apart something I'm going through? Absolutely not. And similarly, if somebody offers me emotional help when I have not asked for it, I get cagey. I mean, I don't take that very well at all. It feels like they're saying, I can see you're struggling. It's very obvious to me that you're struggling and that you're not strong enough to deal with this. Let me teach you and enlighten you on how to how to be emotionally stronger. And I just, I do not take well to that. So how about you? How do you feel about it's funny, asking I, for I help? I actually think it's different from you. I... I don't like asking for practical help unless it's from my family. I I don't have any shame asking my parents or my siblings to help out with things. But I don't like asking friends to take things on or to take my kids or um, I don't know why that is. Are you comfortable telling people no if they ask you? No. So you feel like you have to say yes. So you're projecting, I think. You're projecting that they won't feel comfortable saying no. And so you're not going to ask. Whereas I am so good at saying no. So it's so funny because I feel like saying no is weak. It's like I'm not up to the task. And so I'm, and I feel like lying and taking something on that you're not prepared to do is weak and compliant. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I feel like I just need to do it because I can. I do not like to ask for directions most of the time because I can figure it out on my own. If I have to stop, I will, but I will do everything in my power to figure it out on my own first, which also usually includes not looking at a map. (laughs) I usually just keep driving in the direction I feel. I kind of go gut thing, right? Like I just, I'm like, no, I think we're going this way. I'm pretty sure it's this direction. We will eventually figure out how to get there. There will be a sign. Does it it work out for you? You know what? It usually does. (laughs) We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. How about emotional help? I don't like asking for emotional help. And usually I won't even say I need emotional. I will just be quiet. I go into my little cave and no, with the exception of a couple close, close friends, like I will hash it out with you. And then I have another couple friends that I will hash things out with. And I do appreciate. Do you know, though, you usually wait until it's almost over before you tell me I, like I walked in here today and hadn't known that something really big had happened. And it's a week later. And now I know. So you actually don't. No, you don't. I hold up this week. You I did. I just. I went into my cave for the week because I I think part of it is before I talk to people about what's going on with me emotionally, I need to figure it out for myself. I don't ask for help first. There you go. See? Nail on the head. (laughs) I was just making an observation. (laughs) No, I really do. I want to figure out what's going on in my head because if I can't vocalize it, there's a fear of being misunderstood and there's that fear of being super vulnerable and having somebody else squash me good words around that. That's exactly, I was going to say when, when it is raw and because we're so unused to feeling those kinds of feelings, it's like I, it's like when cats are ready to die and they go somewhere really quiet to do it all alone. It feels like this is a private affair and I really need the silence and stillness to just sort out what is even happening. It's like having an open wound and I just need to wait till it heals a little bit. And when it's healing, I can then vocalize and sort of understand. But yeah, I really, it's a really weird place for me because I think in my tri-type, my head is last. I go into the head space and I just spin and spin and spin. And it's not productive thinking till it is. 
Like right. it stays in that spinning cycle till something comes and makes sense of it. Or to be honest with you, I think this week it was just a change of attitude on my end. Like my gut feeling changed and my heart changed and then my head made sense of it. So when that happens, then I can start to talk about it because I'm okay now. Another piece of that puzzle for me is when I am in that emotionally vulnerable place, I know what I'm capable of and I'm capable of lashing out. So I can become, depending on the kind of emotional pain it is, like I already said, I will be much more reactive, much more likely to assume motives that aren't there in people when they're offering help. And I do not want to be in a position where I have harmed someone because of the negative spin I'm putting on there. So you know what I do? I throw all my hurt out in a very aggressive way. And then I say in my head, like, so there, right? You're going to get on board with me or you're going to fight me? We are ranters. We and like I hate to that spew about, it out in the I moment. I hate it because I leave the moment and I think, fuck. Yeah. We really need to put explicit signs on the outside of our... I already did. Oh, good. I introed the whole podcast with we don't edit out swear words. <laughs> Why would an eight podcast edit out swear words? We'd be hypocrites if we did that. <laughs> yeah. Free speech. But what was I saying fuck about? I forgot now. Uh, ranting. That you spew it out. Yeah. And then I come back and think to myself, I wish I had contained that better. Yeah, I've always described that spewing thing we do as it's a body experience that needs to happen. It's like a valve that releases something, but it doesn't, in the end, it represents the way it feels, but it doesn't represent the way we think. So it represents our emotional center, not our head center. And we need time to sort out the actual reasoning and nuance about what it was we're feeling. That happens later, though, a lot of the time. And so we feel really safe with people who can handle our emotional ranty spew thing that we do. And we'll just kind of look at us with a level gaze and know that the rationality will come soon. Yeah, but when they look at me with that level gaze, I want to punch them because <laughs> I need someone to meet my intensity and I need them in that moment. Give not, me an example. What Not to disagree with me in that moment. Okay, so you know you don't want them to disagree. Give me an example. No, I don't, of- I don't want them to. I can give you an example, but I'm just going to put it out there. So when we, a few months ago, we were in a really big lockdown here. They put us into another lockdown. I'm sure many of you Americans have heard about the lockdowns happening in Canada. It's pretty oppressive here right now. And I disagreed with some of how it was happening. And I felt very cagey at this point. And my family wasn't handling it super well. My kids, I was, my kids are really happy, healthy children. And I saw a change at this point. And that made me rage because I had no control over taking care of my kids in the way that they needed to be cared for right now. I was speaking to a friend and I was really angry about all of what's going on right now and I'm not sure how we're handling it, if we're handling this correctly and whatnot. And and my friend, we went for a walk and I just like spewed it. And the look right on the face is just sort of like this, okay, like Erin's lost her mind and <laughs> did you kind of want she wanted to-, to reason with me she wanted to go with all the logic and the re- and in those moments I can't do that I just need someone to feel what I'm feeling and yes I'll get to the logic I will get there I just not in that moment yeah I can picture what I'd need and it would be head nodding and I, f- I feel that yes that's yeah, exactly what I, I needed. really really I know you and I think I get what that is and so what this friend did because she's a nine is she tried to logic me back down right because she was trying to 
to say, hey, but here's the logic. Mm-hmm. Well, that might work in a, in a calmer time, but we, when we're in those moments, it's it, that's not going to work for an eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just need space to be allowed to growl yeah. and roar yeah. for a little bit, and then we'll come back down. So those growling, roaring moments... At this point in life, I'd rather be alone. I'd rather be do that on my own. Yes, and and I yeah. need to do that on my own right now because I don't I don't trust the outside world at the moment. So mm-hmm. it's just it's just a hard place to be. Okay, so here's the next part of that quote. So Don Rizzo says, Eights generally do not like working under others, preferring instead the risk and adventure of running their own activities. So, <laughs> wow, I resonate with this. But why do you not want to work under others? Because I also don't want to work under others, but I think my For reasons are going to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've thought about this. So I'm a photographer and a videographer and creative in all kinds of ways and never once ever have I taken a class, not even online. It's very simple. You go to YouTube and you click how to use this photo editing program or whatever. And I have felt such a resistance to doing that in a way that I am very aware is super irrational. Like it is not a rational decision on my part to just wing it all the time. Although it has worked for me. I think I'm pretty good at it. But it takes me but a you might lot be able of to be mistakes. At it. Well, and I'd get there faster. So an example is our podcast. The audio was terrible for the first six episodes. Like I mean, hearing it now is is painful. <laughs> it's very painful. And I could have solved that by pre-learning or at least learning quicker than I did. And it's taken a year, really, of figuring it out um, on my own. Actually, it's taken me sending Aaron texts saying, how do you do this? And then Aaron literally goes to her phone, plugs it in, gets the answer within three seconds. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm allergic to doing that. I'm trying to figure out why. So there's a few reasons. And it's very, it's super vulnerable to explain this first part. If I get trained, then I feel I'll be held to a higher standard. Whereas if I wing it, and I do it my way, and it produces kind of a bit of a scratchy, edgy, less than perfect product. That's just all me. Because you anticipated that. So it can be lesser because you've made it that way on purpose. Absolutely. Then any criticisms that come, I will mentally be able to put on my lack of training. Okay, so that's the first piece. But then you won't take any accountability for lack of training. None. (laughs) No. Although I am teachable, but it hurts. So um, I'm going to call out Ben on on this podcast. He immediately got in touch and he said, the audio is a problem and it's going to lose you listeners. And I took it in and it was like a sharp sting. And I think that's what I'm trying to avoid. That's so funny because someone says that to me and I'm like, oh shit, let's fix this. How do we fix this as fast as we possibly can? I don't take this. That does not sharp sting me. Right. But I barely lost my stride. And I immediately said, okay, I hear you. I think you're right. What are we going to do about it? But I wait until the sting comes. I don't, I don't uh, do the work ahead of time so that that doesn't happen. And that's really interesting. So I've created a way to diffuse hurt. That's what I've done. The next thing is that the four in me really wants to know that I did it all myself. And it's so all you. it's all me. Yeah, it's nobody influenced me. Yeah. My photos are mine. My editing is mine. My video and music is all mine. Nobody told me how to do it, what works. And the truth is, I do have an intuitive gift with this stuff. I really do. But it is actually perfectly tailored to my taste, not mass taste. 
And so the reality is I'm pleased as can be with the product I've produced. And I do not take the time at all to look sideways and find out what the public taste is. And that's just a price I'll pay because I want to be happy with it. I don't really care if you're happy with it, which is why I'm not oriented towards making money. Until we start making money. That's what I was saying. And you're going to get this whole time. Aaron's been pushing for like how to make this more of a financial thing. And I'm like, no, if I'm happy with the product, that's all I care about. And she's like, well, we got to pay for the food on the table. We do need to get to a point where we. So stay tuned because Aaron's going to cook up the the financial side. That's right. Because I'm just happy doing this but my way. But you'll burn out because eventually... I don't think I will, man. I'm a bottomless pit of like creativity. Well, I think we have a long way to go before you'll burn out on this. But I think the time and energy going into it is is very valuable. Maybe. And I feel like you... Anyways, I, I wonder <laughs> if you don't value yourself as much as you. But it feels so vulnerable yeah. to put a price and then no one pays. And then I'm like, I'm not worth paying for. Yes. That sounds Whereas sexual. If you, if you don't ask for it, then you don't have to be told you're not worth it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of this pre-hedging myself around that happens with me. This is it. Because you yeah. put this like, you can all not care if I'm valuable. I know I'm valuable. Right. I'm just not going to tell you to give me and money I don't, for it. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to offer a quantitative way of measuring whether you think I'm valuable or not. <laughs> I don't want it in numbers so I can see on paper that you don't think I'm valuable. I know I'm valuable. That's good enough. So you'll you'll know when we start putting in Patreon and, and monetary things that I am suffering deeply. <laughs> you can all that, Joe. <laughs> I'll be so uncomfortable. When other people show neediness, I see that as weakness. And the best example I can think of from my life is when my husband was in a really bad accident. I had to jump on a plane and meet him in the hospital, not knowing what was going to happen. And people kept saying, do you want us to come join you? Are you okay? And I just kept refusing all help. Kind of maybe even resented that nobody insisted. (laughs) That's the funny thing. As soon as we got home from the hospital, I completely fell apart and withdrew completely into my fiveness and really needed that actually because not only is my husband self-sufficient, but I feel like I am too, almost to a fault. And so even though I appreciated meals and things like that, I really insisted that I could do it myself. And yet I felt very alone through that whole time. I grew up the first of four kids in my family. Kind of essentially helped raise my younger siblings, whether I wanted to or not. Um, My mom worked full time and my dad worked and uh, was, is an alcoholic, so he was hardly ever home. I just kind of learned to fend for myself and my own needs. My parents weren't really always there for me, um, especially my dad. And any time I depended on him, especially, I was always disappointed. I hate being disappointed. You know, we just have a hard time trusting people that they're going to come through. Just kind of learned to keep my circle small. Being self-sufficient was definitely something that I learned young, especially not having very many friends growing up homeschooled and things. It was like, if I wanted to do something, I had to learn how to do it myself. That's kind of why I acquired as many skills as I have over the years. But also managing people in a restaurant. I always joke that I learned that no one is competent until proven otherwise. And so that's kind of an armor in that I refuse to, most of the time, allow people the opportunity to screw up. Whereas that's definitely something that I've been learning how to do is letting people screw up on their own and not 
feeling like I have to do everything myself. Over the last couple of years, I've definitely been working on allowing people the grace to screw up. So Rizzo also says they can be openly competitive, not to feel superior, but ensure they have the resources they need to maintain maintain their well-being and security. So this is interesting because I can be, I'm thinking about me being competitive and I am super competitive, but I don't need to win. I think my competitiveness is to say I can keep up or I am tough enough. Yeah, I don't need to win. I just need to participate and be in the game. It's a tri-type thing again. There's a triad called harmonic triad. And one of the triads is competency. I'm just trying to remember the numbers. I think it's one, three, and five, which means that when they're confronted with a trial of some kind, they have their own internal system and way of rising to the challenge. And Aaron, you have three. So you have one of your numbers is in the competency triad, and I can see it in you. You are really unfazed when it comes to uh, finding a practical solution for something. Yeah, I find it very baffling because guess what? I have no competency. Zero. I, we talked about this in the last podcast, but yeah. I do. I'm always surprised when you say that because I'm like, no, this is just normal. No, my body always knows what to do. I have this intuitive thing that I have going for me, but it isn't systematic. It has no structure. I don't have an internal compass for that kind of thing at all. I typically look kind of wide-eyed and then I wing it and I really just hope it works out (laughs) a lot of the time. So the truth is it's a source of frustration for me. My lack of competency is something I can feel. I don't feel lesser than, it just is getting in my way. Sometimes it stops my efficiency and it certainly gets in the way of my self-sufficiency that I really put a lot of stock in. And so, um, Did I tell this story where the other day I was coming home at night and it was freezing cold and my car lost a tire. (laughs) The the tire just collapsed and imploded. And the very first thought is, oh, shit, I have to call my husband. And I hate that I have to call my husband because the truth is he showed me how to change a tire. I did not retain that information at all. And I was very aware that if he didn't come get me, I was going to be there all night. So I had to call him. It took about 40 minutes for him to get to me. And my anger just built up and up and up. And I was just, I was angry at him because I didn't feel like being mad at me. And he showed up to help me. And I'm angry at him for helping me change a tire. And I know what was going on. It was that I really didn't like that I needed to call him. That's so funny. I have no issue asking for help in those situations at all. I really don't care that I'm not capable (laughs) I'm like, yeah, can you come get me mm-hmm. so I can... I am a dichotomy in this area because there's huge swaths of things where I really don't care about asking. It's that sometimes I'm confronted with my lack of competency and it just makes me feel weak. Yeah, but on the whole, if I've predetermined that I don't care that I can't do a thing, then I don't actually care in the moment. But if it surprises me, and I'm caught off guard, and I realize I don't have the resources to do this, it is a source of frustration for me. Stuff like, I'm out with a group of people and we're skiing and my health has taken away my strength. So my skiing capabilities are diminished from what they were. And I feel like I am not I'm the weakest of the group. That makes me crazy. Everyday stuff, 
like my tire or asking my husband to come outside last yesterday we set up our kids trampoline and i couldn't i wasn't strong enough to get some of the springs in so waiting for him to come home and asking him to just take care of the rest no issue so imagine he was out of the picture though and you didn't know how to do these things and you had to ask someone else no i can ask someone else i can ask my cousin lives on our street i'm happy to ask him to help he's me. still a relative picture no no one you know asking a stranger can't do that so oddly enough, like I find, I find it easier to ask a stranger. It's people I know who I find harder. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. So this year at the ski hill, my boys were training and I was loving the fact that, that I had the day to myself at the ski hill and I parked myself in my car and I threw on my podcasts and I leaned my seat back and I had a nap and wrote in my journal and like had this amazing day by myself in my car where no one needed me. And I killed the battery. And then I had to go find a stranger. I have no problem with that. Oh my gosh. That was the most uncomfortable. I was so angry because I had to go find a stranger to boost my car and I wanted to lose my mind. And I felt completely trapped because normally, I mean, I grew up in the community we live in. There's people always around. I have lots of family here that I can call for help. There's always someone in my family I can call for help. But I was an hour away and there was nobody there I knew. Oh, it just makes me cringe feeling that feeling. I felt having to go find strangers to come boost my car. So there we have it. I think you're more sensitive about asking strangers and that feels safer to me than asking people who know me. So funny. So yeah, we'll have to work through that. Well, but I don't know what that's tri-type or social or what. I don't know. We'll figure it out, I yep. guess. But Well, there you go. If AIDS were to examine their lives objectively, they would see that, in fact, they are actually dependent on many people to fulfill their vision and accomplish their goals. Yet, because of their fear of dependency and betrayal, AIDS do not want to acknowledge this. <laughs> I have a physical reaction to this quote. It's like it comes up against a wall and I'm like, no, just absolutely no. There's something about this that... Like, you don't, you don't feel like it's true? And shouldn't be. It's not even, I think it's not true. I think it shouldn't well, even lot, be true. Lots of things shouldn't be true. That's right. So this are. might be semantics. So let's talk this through. My relationship to the word dependent, obviously coming from an eight lens is ew, <laughs> right? So there's that. But there is also that I fundamentally think that there should be no naivete when it comes to humans and that they can't be fully depended on because they're humans and so they will fail you I agree and so with that. right yep, so there is part of me that wants to add a lot more wording around this statement I would say it's okay to lean on people in an informed way or it's okay to be interconnected with humans or depend on humans fully expecting oh my gosh we really got to hash this one out but I actually think it's more about having grace for the fact that they are human I don't even want to risk that basically no it like makes me think of leaning up against a rock putting your whole weight leaning expecting the rock to hold you and the rock moves and you fall on your ass and the feeling that rises up when I think about something I was expecting to hold up my weight failing me um Erin just mentioned that she hit her head because she slipped on the ice and I said did you feel rage when the ice betrayed you and your body betrayed you there is this feeling of why would I put myself in that position? And so I have created, I guess, my own way of viewing humanity as 
a trades of goods and services that we need. So when I said that I really didn't like that I had to call my husband to help change my tire, there is part of me that knows maybe that's good because it means I have to remember that I need other humans (laughs) because I only have enough space in my head for so many superpowers and skills. And so thank goodness I don't actually have to be on top of every aspect of life. And that way I can actually require the services and help of other people sometimes and keep me that keeps me connected to humanity. But the last thing I want to do is put all my eggs in someone else's basket, only to know that they're inevitably going to drop the basket at some point, and crack a bunch of my eggs. Wow, analogies are fun. I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm just sitting here pondering all of this. And I think I I don't want to be dependent, but I do think when it's my couple close people, I... They fail you too. They fail you too. And it sucks. And they can because they're human. That's like the eggs. I'm the egg on the ground broken when that happens. And I'm like, shit, why? And even though I have a lot of grace for it, like I I don't expect my friends to be perfect. They're not. And I I get they're human. But I do put too much. I think because I can be that person for other people. I can hold everything and... Do you want to be the person people depend on? I'm okay to be that person so long as that person doesn't actually fully need me. (laughs) If they want to share that with me, I want to be there with them. I want to walk it with them. That's what I want. I don't want to be their problem solver. But I do want to be the person that they call to say, this isn't going well. Can we go for a walk? Or I need wine. That's not being dependent. That's offering a trade of goods and services, like I said. (laughs) Fine. I offer my trades and services. Yep. I always have wine, just in case anyone here wants to know. <laughs> I've always got wine. Yeah. But I want to say that I'm not dependent on anybody, but I think if I'm being brutally honest, there's a couple people in my life that I depend on probably a little bit too much with expectations that are too high. Mm-hmm. And I used to. And I lost her. So there's that. Do you feel since your mom has passed away that you would ever, do you think that there is any way you would put the stake you had back in? with someone else? No, I think the only reason it was even there to begin with is you don't really consent with your parents. It's something that grows organically with you. So I was in a state of dependency on my mom before I even gave myself permission to be. Um, And so I, I didn't recognize it until it was ripped out from under me. And now I know the feeling of what it is to be cut in half, really, is what it feels like. So the reality is, not only do I, I think as a a human with the personality I have feel that you should have a really good strong boxer stance so that you're grounded and can't be pushed over. But then you add the experience of knowing what it feels like to lose someone like that. And it becomes like a body sensation that you don't want to repeat. And it fortifies my stance even more like now I am. um, And I'm not saying this is I'm trying to decide if it's a bad thing or not. I'm just telling you that the way I live my life is to be completely grounded in myself under God. And I believe in being dependent on him in a way that I would never be dependent on another human. And so do you feel that since your mom has passed away that you're more grounded? Like, do you feel like... That's what I think. I am think that my spin on this is that it's been positive. It could have gone the other way. It could have gone the other way. I believe what I did with this is I became someone who is way more comfortable with who I am and what I offer the world because I lost her and had to now stand on both feet instead of leaning up against her like she Mm -hmm. was my rock. And 
Truly, truly. And I'm open to correction. Any of you friends who are listening, who who know me well and are like, you're deluded, um, please let me know. <laughs> but the way it feels to me is that it, in that weird way, losing her taught me that I'm pretty grounded on my two feet under my God in a way that has given me, yeah, more of a view of the world as like my shoulder to shoulder fellow companions in the world on a team. I'm, I'm becoming a little more... Um, interconnected as opposed to dependent. I think I am. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's interesting too, because as I've lost a few really close friends in the last few years, I look back and I think I have always had someone that I was dependent on and it's usually a peer. So I've always had a really close friend that I have depended on. And those relationships that I lost, yeah, they rocked my world. And it's put me in that position. That's why I was asking about your mom, where I feel like I've had to learn to stand on my own two feet alone. But It is lonely sometimes. I do feel like it's lonely sometimes. And I miss that feeling of uh, dependency. Honestly, just knowing and feeling like you're in this together with someone else and realizing now that it's sort of, um, I I have some great friends, like some really, really good friends, but they're not people who are going to uh, get into into a dependent relationship with me, which is probably the best thing for me. And sometimes it's hard because I mistake their lack of need of dependency on me for um, them pulling away or Mm aloofness, but it's not. Right. It's not. I think I want to say I'm not dependent on anybody, but I think if I'm being brutally honest, I have been, and I'm just learning Mm -hmm. to stand with God and be okay in that position and not needing to lean on other humans at this Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to just disagree with Don Rizzo that we need to be dependent on people. It's almost like a trite saying that the world says all the time and they don't really get what they're saying. I'm open to this being completely an eight personality thing, but I'd reword it as we are interconnected with people. The word dependent is just not a word I'd use. I would never willingly be dependent on another human. I willingly become interconnected all the time, all the time, multiple times a day. Do I let people in on some level? But I would not lean hard on them, would not do it. It also allows space for other people. And it allows space for the people who you're in close relationship to not to carry so much of your weight. Do you know, I'm going to just, yeah, say that that is actually a real perk to this, this thing I'm describing is I am open to being interconnected with hundreds of people because I am not leaning my whole self into one or two people. I think it's it makes me more open to seeing what other people can offer. And so what I don't I, want I to be interconnected them. with hundreds of people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's say dozens. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I do understand what you're saying because it has opened me for time and energy for people that just need a little bit of, here we go, because AIDS have to support and help, but, but people who do need some support, I feel like I can tap in and I don't have to be there everything. I can just go and offer one night of wine and a listening ear and you know and I can just be that for the moment and it it doesn't used to be that when I went into that role I took it on wholeheartedly and then they they became a project right I don't need to do that anymore I can just be because I'm okay in my own skin to not need that so I'm okay to go be that person for someone else too Mm -hmm. it does it doesn't feel unhealthy to me but the world would paint this as unhealthy behavior oh I don't think it's unhealthy I feel like it's taken time to transition my awareness into being into this being a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a really painful process, right? Would you not agree? I remember. Yeah. 
Well, and for you, it's yeah, we're been- five and a half years and counting, and yeah, I still feel the loss of of having that solid foundation to lean on. I do. Yep. Yep. And so it's not it's not pleasant. It's horrible, and it's painful, and it's trauma. I have an analogy. That's what growing up is. When you're a baby, you are 100% dependent on your parent. And the trajectory is supposed to be that you need them less and less and less and less. They become a source of wisdom and knowledge and comfort, and you can put your arms around them, but they should not be the wall that is supporting your life. Nobody would argue that. And so I think we're heading the right direction by not being deeply dependent on anyone Nobody should be. So there you go. That's, that is my thesis, and I'm sticking to that, man. So what about self-sufficiency as a layer can breed kind of toxic, unhelpful things in us? And what about it is actually, which parts do we keep? So which- I think with the self-sufficiency, we can be at risk of cutting ourselves off from community. Yes. Right. And I think being aware of being self-sufficient and being alone are two totally different things. Yeah. And being self-sufficient and not needing someone else is also two different things because we do need other humans. It's like we have a toolkit with specialized tools in it. And if we only work out of that toolkit, there's going to be a whole bunch of things in the world that we can't help with and won't be helped by. Other people have their own toolkit and we need to trade tools. It really is something that's required for us to have a full experience in but life. But I also think we're created that way on purpose because we are created to be in community. And if we don't need someone else's tools, we don't bother to going over to that community. Right. It and creates then the connection. gift is, I think, pretty obvious, which is that we really do have a good grounded stance to us. That means we're hard to push over. And man, you need humans like that in the world. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor.